0: The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407 790 9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome, one and all, to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as uh, we roll into the month of october i want i wanted to say that there was like the crisp bite in the air but th- the the bite is just the mosquitoes i mean it's just it's still freaking hot out man um although i felt like we were starting to get a little bit of breeze fall is reportedly on the way boys i just i i, I just haven't seen it yet
1: i i've heard that like by next weekend not this weekend by by next weekend the highs will be in, like, the high 80s.
0: Just in time for the middle of conference play. Oh, great. That's improvement. (laughs) So we are BlackAndGoldBanneret.com, Nation's home for UCF sports. You can follow us there and on Facebook.com slash BlackAndGoldBanneret and UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Lots to get to. We're going to recap UCF's resounding victory over Pitt and preview the game coming up against SMU. We've also got lots of news to get to uh, for uh, both men's and women's soccer and volleyball who are off to their very good starts to their conference uh, slate. You can follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon spokes underscore Murphy and Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Google play Apple podcast, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. By the way, we were hoping to have a guest this weekend. We were we were intending to have the Battle of the Lukes. Luke Saris got into a Twitter argument with of all people, former UF quarterback Luke Del Rio. Um, and and to to Del Rio's credit, he agreed to come on the podcast, but. Uh, we had it all lined up, but then, he, but then something came up at the last minute. He couldn't make it, but he promised he'll be on next week. So we're going to have that next week for you. Luke Saris v. Luke Del Rio. And the three of us, I guess, will serve as judges. Please study up. And Now, now, and, now
2: what, for those that haven't followed it on social media, what is the, the,
0: the beef of the Luke's there? Okay, the beef of the Luke's, as far as I have been able to ascertain is Luke uh, excuse me Luke Del Rio does not believe UCF would stand a chance a single chance at all against an SEC team like Alabama and Luke Sarris's contention. <laughs>
2: well, you know what? My response to that would be: Guess what? Most of the teams in the SEC can't don't stand a chance against Alabama either.
0: So, okay. fair. <laughs> that's a bad well, well, Luke Del Rio would know. He was at Alabama before he came to Florida. He also spent some time at Oregon State, so he was spent some time outside of the SEC. Um, has a, I think he has a pretty good gauge on on talent on on those rosters, and I think he'd be interesting to hear from. We're going to give him a fair airing. Uh, uh, of his case And then we will dismantle it But anyway <laughs> uh, That's that's for next week Let's talk about right. this week Or more specifically last week As uh, UCF football played a power 5 opponent Pitt Panthers Granted, I know, it's Pitt everyone, That's what everyone seems to say uh, Congratulations, it's Pitt uh, But it was a 45-14 victory For UCF over the Panthers um Mackenzie Milton with another spectacular game six total touchdowns throwing for four running for two he was 18 of 34 for 328 yards uh was sacked only once Gabe Davis led UCF with um or excuse me he he did not lead UCF Adrian Killins led UCF with 140 yards receiving including a 71 yard touchdown Gabe Davis had four catches as did Otis Anderson uh, as far as the rushing is concerned, Greg McCray led the Knights with 64 on 10 carries. Uh, like I said, Milton ran for two touchdowns. A um, little bit of everybody in, the, in this uh, it, it got involved. Um, they tried really hard to get Otis Anderson involved, and I think that pretty much worked. Uh, he finished the day. He did have 29 receiving yards and also had some work in the punt return game. Um, Killens had the long touchdown uh, in the second er, in, in the second half. UCF pretty much just dominated this game, almost from the word go. More than doubling Pitt in total offense, five sixty eight to two seventy two. Um, the Knights punted only twice, uh, and uh, it was just an all around outstanding performance uh, against, let's face it, an ACC team. Uh, oink, oink. That said, UCF <laughs> did move up one spot in both polls, and that's the reaction that seems to be coming around. It, that that the, the national reaction is, you know, uh, you know, UCF needs to uh, uh, UCF needs to play more power five opponents. Well, they throttle. They basically do, in my opinion, to pit exactly what a team like Clemson or Miami is would do to pit and UCF is not going to get the credit for it. And my I disagree
2: question, with that. I just I, I disagree. I think they did get What credit a surprise. Go up. ahead. <laughs> no, they moved up. I mean, in all like compare that to Miami who blew out North Carolina. They dropped the spot. So, that's a myth. Like they did move up. Maybe you're not pleased how far they moved up, and maybe we'll get into who do you think they should have moved up over, but they got the respect. They moved up. They were a heavy favorite. Murph said this last week. They were supposed to do what they did. Let's not act like this is some incredible accomplishment. They did what they were supposed to do. They beat the crap out of a bad Pittsburgh team. That's what they did. That's what they were supposed to do. They did what they were supposed to do. They beat a, an overmatched Pitt team. UCF was a better team than Pitt. They were a, two, a nearly a two-touchdown favorite over Pitt. So to suggest that this was some incredible accomplishment, uh, I mean, they moved up a spot. Like I said, Miami didn't move up a spot. They dropped the spot for blowing out North Carolina. So... It wasn't like UCF dropped in the polls or anything like that. They moved up. They beat a team they were supposed to. Um, I'm not really sure why you didn't think they didn't get the proper credit.
0: They didn't uh, They didn't get leapfrogged by anybody, but I'm looking at two teams directly ahead of them um, okay. with one loss. Penn State and oh, Washington. Well,
2: here we go. The win Well, both of those teams, and Penn State lost to the number, in my opinion, the second best team in the country by a point. In a classic game, number three Ohio State, you team. mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good loss. Uh, the other team lost to Auburn in a neutral field. Uh, I don't know. Again, this is the problem. Just because a team lost doesn't mean that UCF's automatically going to jump them, especially if they lost to a quality team and a top ten, top five team. There was no way that the loser of Ohio State, Penn State, was going to drop that far because they're playing each other. You have to give credit when teams play top notch competition. I mean, that's so I don't know why people are that bothered by that. I was not expecting UCF to be ahead of Penn State uh, or Washington uh, in the polls. If anything, I'm actually happy they're, for now they're still ahead of Kentucky. I was concerned that Kentucky would jump them, but they didn't, not yet anyway, um, which I think will happen. If Kentucky keeps winning, they will jump UCF because they will have opportunities to impress. In the voters, But that's how this system works. I mean, there are teams that are going to leapfrog each other as this time goes on. But I'll say this. The committee has been consistent on this since day one. Just because you're undefeated does not mean that you're going to be ranked number one or number two or higher than a one-loss team. Look back to the first year when Florida State, by the way, who had won the national title the year before, brought pretty much a majority, of not 90%, of its roster back. went undefeated and they dropped to number three in the polls in the playoff because they were, quote, not impressive, and they were leapfrogged by a one-loss Alabama team and a one-loss Oregon team. So this is not news that an undefeated team is behind a one-loss team.
0: I get that. I get that. But Murph, I, I, I wanted to bring you in on this too, is that I felt watching that game that UCF was totally dominant against Pitt and they didn't even really play it, played a perfect game, at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that could have been a lot worse if you were Pitt. And just watching the game, it seems obvious that UCF to me belongs in the top ten, at least as of right now. They're one. I believe they're one of the ten best teams in the country. If you were, if you were going to try and line them up, <clears throat> but okay. Uh, <laughs> the problem is we probably have about the, prob- the problem is we probably have about thirteen teams that are worthy of that, uh, and I think that's the point, Eric, that you're trying to make. Um yeah. Is is this is this the proper evaluation? Is this team even coming close to peaking right now?
1: Are they coming close to peaking? That's a different question. Um, they, they can certainly play better in facets but generally this is very good i wouldn't want to say like they have so much room to improve like when you're winning by like 25 35 points that's that's pretty good no matter how many flaws small flaws you can nitpick at so there are there are plays that they can you know do better there are small stretches in which they can perform better but this team is this team is really good this team is i'll I'll say this team is better than I initially thought it was going to be coming out of, of training camp um I don't really care if they're ranked ninth or tenth or twelfth in the AP um it's it's all a fine estimation like so if they were ranked tenth, we wouldn't be having this discussion that seems really arbitrary yeah. and kind of meaningless because it's not the CFP poll so what are we talking about?
0: I get it I get it i I, I just it it feels as though if UCF plays the attrition game right and the way things are setting up they could head into their final two games in the regular season against Cincinnati and USF and still have not lost a game mm-hmm. i think but but looking at the rest of the of the slate and who's ahead of them i think it's going to be very difficult for UCF to move up much further than maybe where they are the rest of the way barring some teams not just losing once but twice um, yeah, and, and we, yeah.
1: We, talk, we we talk, we talked about this last week. I said last week, at least I'm pretty sure I said it on this podcast. If not, I didn't say it before the game anyway. Like, if UCF, if we're gonna have all this talk about playoff stuff, like UCF's gonna need teams in the SEC and the Big Twelve and Big Ten to lose twice, yeah.
0: not just they, once. They need to win, and they, they need won. help.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. They're they will they will take, you know, a two they will take a one lost, you know, big top uh, top elite Big Ten team over an undefeated UCF team with their strength of schedule. And it doesn't help that teams like Memphis get blown out by
0: Tulane. That was a big a big, right. big, a big pain big, yep. right there.
2: Yeah, no, to piggy pank on uh Murph's point, Coley Matrix, your buddy, <laughs> and his rank <laughs> you know, our boy who, well, by the way, moved UCF up to 15th this week. We're still behind Cincinnati and South Florida. NC State's in the top ten, but whatever. Um, but here's the interesting thing. Schedule strength ranking. At this moment, UCF schedule strength. It's a guarding Coley matrix, or boy, crowned as national champions. 144. 144. To put that in perspective, LSU, 8. Notre Dame, 9 compared to 144. Kentucky, how, is it, how is it how is it
1: how is it one forty four when there are only one hundred and twenty nine teams? Yeah, in that the was FBS? my question.
2: Uh, you guys have to ask Holy Matrix. That's his ranking, <laughs> Not mine. I mean your guy cram, he cram hey look he crowned his national champs. We we're, you know we gotta embrace him. You know, I mean even if it's a little quirky. Uh, you write, I can't, that, you you that you feels write. like
0: he's he, it, well, I mean, looking at his thing, there's just not enough data right there. That's what that tells me.
2: Well, and I think what he does, actually, I think does he? I think he actually ranks like certain FCS schools for some reason. But maybe, got we, we got to get him. Sagarin, we got to that, track. by the way. we yeah. got to get. Maybe he could explain it. But so I think the schedule strength. So look, I think UCF will be in the top ten eventually. Uh, we're only the first week of October. It's right. not like they're far off. Uh, but unfortunately, again, if you're asking about making a shot for the playoff, it's not going to happen. In fact, ESPN yeah. did this thing this week. Uh, what is it, like the college football playoff predictor or whatever, and they gave UCF literally a 0% chance of making the playoff. There's only, and I agree with this, there's only nine teams, in my opinion, that have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs. It's not like UCF's the only school that, by the way, it's getting, uh, you know, screwed or whatever term you want to use from the playoff. There's a lot of schools right now that have no chance based on their lack of brand, and I'm talking like, uh, schools that are undefeated in, the, in right now currently that are power five schools that I think have no chance of making it, even if they were to win out. So that's where the sport is right now. Yeah. But I think, you know, UCF's got a lot. They just got to keep winning. Like, we're too worried about where they're right. It's going to take care of itself. If they keep winning, they're going to get more attention. They're going to crack the top ten. I do th- think they will be in the top ten by the time – they get to the first college football playoff poll, and I wouldn't even be surprised that we're we're coming down the stretch that they're maybe in the seven eight range. But I do think they're going to get capped, and I do think there are teams that they're going to they're going to pick whether it be a zero loss or one loss or maybe even a two loss team is going to get the benefit of the doubt over UCF. And by the way, this has happened in college football for decades and decades. Look at the list of teams that are undefeated. There's actually. A lot of teams that have gone undefeated, they have not even sniffed the chance for the national title. You're talking Boise State went undefeated twice during their run. TCU has gone undefeated uh, as well. Utah has gone. Penn State in 1994 went undefeated and got nothing. Got nothing. They didn't even share it with Nebraska. In fact, Penn State has been gone undefeated twice. In '69 and '94, and didn't win the national title. In '69, was the infamous Richard Nixon declaring Texas the national champions after they beat Arkansas? Yeah, but, uh, so but again, over- that's that's
0: pre-playoff era. Yeah, and if but that and if,
2: that the premise changes. Sure, I mean, it does. People think. No, it doesn't. The this sport doesn't change. They're the most—they're dinosaurs. They move like glaciers. Look how long it took them just to get to four teams. I mean, I've been clamoring for eight teams for twenty years, and they are not even close to eight teams. We're just, just, we just cracked four. I mean, people still think that the freaking, you know, Liberty Bowl means something. For crying out, we're trying to protect the Liberty Bowls of the world. That's why we haven't expanded the playoff. It's a joke.
0: Well, th- th- uh, th- one of the yeah. things that we're running into. Oh, go ahead, Brian. I would just say I, I,
1: I'll say before I talk more about this, I'd like to say I hate talking about this. Especially in week six, where it doesn't mean anything. Um, but if if you if UCF fans want to grasp on something that's more tangible than a CFP bid, which is like you're you're grasping it's you're grasping at straws four feet above your head. If you want to look at something that's more tangible or, or more realistic going forward, just again, the ultimate goal, or at least to, to sort of like not let yourself down at the end. But consider your consider your ultimate goal being the Group of Five auto bid. And yeah. right now, UCF UCF is twelve, and there's no other Power Five team in the top twenty five. Now, again, it's the AP poll, not CFP. So everything I just said about the rankings doesn't matter because this isn't
2: CFP. Right. But and, on even, the per- if it, and you could argue if UCF drops a game but wins their conference, they might still get the bid. That's how big of a guess they have. Now. Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
1: If 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 you if USF uh, loses a game or loses a game or two, UCF could still lose to USF then win the conference and still be above Boise State or whomever else.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that's not doing UCF any favors right now is the American Athletic Conference itself uh, this year, <laughs> which is, is really on the west side is just turning into a catastrophe. Um, Memphis, who everyone thought would be the probably the best contender again to win the conference coming out of the west, they're 0-2 in the league having gotten bombed by Tulane this past weekend on uh, I think that was was that a Thursday night game?
1: That was a Friday Friday night. Friday
0: night. Yeah. yeah. I knew I knew it was a weekday game but um and they looked bad in that game by the way too. Uh Tulane by the way that's who's two and three overall but one and 0 oh in the league. Um Houston has yet to play a conference game they're 3 and 1. Um they're starting conference play this week. Navy obviously 1 and 1. Right right now at the top of the west you have Tulane at 1 and 0 in the in the uh, in the American but 2 and 3 overall. And yeah, also did. this week's opponent for UCF, the SMU Mustangs at 1 and 0 and 2 and 3 overall. Let's not that record fool you. Um SMU is a is a fairly at least t- so far to this point has been a fairly mediocre team. Uh, it is a, a Saturday night game on ESPNU, 7 o'clock at Spectrum. Um, UCF is a heavy, heavy favorite. I'm going to pull up the line here in a second. 24,
2: but... I believe. 24, 24
0: and a half. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Eric well, I mean, there you go. I, I, I You know, do we – is this a game where Josh Heupel – this is what I want to know, and I think a bunch of fans are starting to ask. Is this a game where Josh Heupel really – takes the dogs off the leash and says let's try and let's try and hang 70 on them you know why not let's 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 pull a Steve Spurrier we're 24 point favorites the over under 75 let's try and let's aim for the over under by ourselves why the hell not
1: you know I asked McKenzie Milton about this on Monday because you know he threw a touchdown pass up 38 to 7 with seven minutes
0: left yeah I want to talk about that in a second too but anyway go ahead
1: no i mean we get if you want to get into this now I, you know he basically said at that point you know they wanted to still play football uh you know they they they, they were still running their offense blah, blah blah it doesn't seem but really it didn't seem to me like they were they really wanted to so you know quote-unquote rub it in and you know people complain about this offense that sometimes being um too bland especially with the running game with adrian killens but
0: they're, st- like, they're still dominating our offense. Like, they're I don't complaining know about complain the running about game being bland. They're sixth in the country in rushing offense.
1: I don't understand <laughs> how people complain about this offense. Right. I really don't.
0: So, look.
1: If this is really bland, show me. Mike.
0: If this is bland, oh, I can't wait to see the real stuff.
1: <laughs> I don't. Well, at some point, Adrian's going to pop one as a running back. Hey, I wrote an article about that this week in the Orlando Sentinel. Go check oh, it out. Hey, oh. uh, um, but it's, G-pop, you know. it's it is is pop, it, it, so um, it doesn't matter if they win by fifty or sixty, or if they win by twenty-four. Like, as long as they don't like go to over like overtime with SMU, and it's a it's a struggle, and they're down by fourteen in the fourth quarter, they have to dig it out at the end. Like, no, if they if they kind of just you know move SMU out of the way and just just dispatches them as a like a gnat, uh, without you know they don't have to annihilate them. Just 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 win, just
2: win, just win, baby. I don't think they have to go full throttle, and they could still put up a big number. I mean, it's not yeah. like—I mean, it's not like they're not putting up numbers. I mean, they should blow out SMU. SMU is not very good. They no. yeah. You know, and one of the issues, Jeff, you brought up the American Conference struggles. Part of it is a lot of coaching transactions, and one of them is at SMU. You had Morris, Chad Morris, leave to go to Arkansas. You got Dykes coming into SMU, and it's a bit of an adjustment period. I mean, they lost. They lost some tremendous talent receivers that are currently in the NFL. We saw Sutton for the Broncos on Monday night from SMU. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's part of what's hurt the league. But UCF should have no trouble with SMU. If you're UCF, by the way, you need to be—you got to root for Houston because I think Houston's the only team in the West that has a chance to make a run and maybe be a top 25 team as a possible opponent in the American Conference title game. I think if you're UCF, you're hoping that Cincinnati keeps winning – South Florida keeps winning, and Houston keeps winning. You kind of finish at the end of the year with a, you know, nice uptick yeah. with maybe two or three teams ranked potentially, kind of like you did last year with USF and Memphis at the end of the year. And I agree. I very will much. say too, you know, I, I think that's what you're going to shoot for because be, up until then, there's not going to be anybody else up until Cincinnati. If Cincinnati keeps winning, I don't think there's anybody from now until November seventeenth that UCF will be that anybody's going to be impressed by.
0: SMU uh should be noted the all-time series is 7 to 1 UCF. The Knights have won 4 in a row. Uh last time these two played was 2014 when UCF beat them 53 to 7. SMU's only win was in 2011 uh a 38-17 victory. Um but I They played uh, last year. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh last year 31-24. Yeah, I <laughs> beg your pardon. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry about now. that. But prior to that, SMU's uh, – the last game between these two was in 2014. Um, okay. <laughs> the, uh, but going back to what it was that you were saying – uh, I was on Wikipedia. I saw the wrong thing. Um, going back to what, it, uh, what you were saying, though, Eric, about the schedule, and this is going to make some UCF fans rather uncomfortable, but I don't care because it's the truth. Uh, you've got to start – you've got to root for USF. you got to root for Houston. you got to root for Cincinnati. Here on out, and yep. looking at USF's remaining schedule, uh, they're coming off a, tw- a rather unimpressive twenty to thirteen victory at home against uh, SMU. They are they're at UMass, East Carolina, do. doo. Yeah, it, they're they're at UMass, they're at Tulsa uh, for a Friday night. They're home for UConn at Houston on October twenty seventh. You got to everyone's got to circle that date because that's going to be a key game to watch. Um, home for Tulane November third, and then Saturday they are at Cincinnati in a game that very well um, could determine who has the inside who, who has the inside track on UCF in the Eastern Division uh, at Temple, and then the war on I four November twenty third. So um, Cincinnati right now looks like this. Uh, they are what happened here? Their schedule looks all messed up. Um, yeah, there they go. Cincinnati right now, 5-0, and they are impressive. By the way, their pass defense uh, is among the best in the country. I think they're in the top five in pass defense. Um, they've got uh, – they're coming off a, a whitewashing of UConn 49-7. They've got Tulane at Temple at SMU, home for Navy and USF at UCF November 17th. Obviously, that's such a huge game you know, for UCF coming in. And then they finish up with ECU. Um well, this no, Eastern I'll give Division. You another, I'll, yeah, I'll go give ahead. You another
2: reason to root for Cincinnati beyond just the rankings. I think if Cincinnati keeps winning and UCF keeps winning, let's say UCF's undefeated going into that Cincinnati game, mm-hmm. and let's say Cincinnati has, let's say they have a loss, let's say they drop the USF game, whatever, but they're still having a good year, right? Mm-hmm. I have, I think there's a fifty-fifty shot that College Game Day comes to UCF for hmm. the first time ever. Uh, if you look at the schedule that weekend. Mm-hmm the main competition I've studied this is Auburn and Georgia in Athens. Well, Auburn already has a loss. Who knows? Maybe Auburn has a loss down the road that could break things up. Uh, game days tries to go to places they haven't been to before if possible. And if UCF has a, you know, at that time, uh, still a long winning streak, I could see game day going to Orlando coming to UCF for that Cincinnati game. If Cincinnati is very good, I think that's a possibility. A lot of football to be played. Yep. Um, but don't be shocked. I, I think that's something, to, if you're a Knight fan, to kind of root for extra there to get a chance to have college game day on campus. Yeah. Uh, I think it's is in play. I really do. If uh, It has to be UCF going undefeated, and it has to be Cincinnati. has to be very good uh, for them to do it, because uh, I think they, they would probably carry that game on one of their family networks, whereas the Auburn-Georgia game more than likely will be a CBS game. So I could see them doing UCF Cincinnati as a change of pace, especially if they decide that the following weekend they want to do the Iron Bowl between Auburn and Alabama. I could definitely see them doing that. So, um, you know, something to keep in mind too as this schedule breaks out. You probably want to root for Cincinnati not just to help your schedule, but maybe to get college uh, help the chances of College Game Day coming to Orlando.
0: Here's another thing I should think we should keep a very close eye on: is Houston. Because it looks like the offense is back for the Cougars. Uh, yep. They're three and one. They haven't scored less than forty-five points in any game they've played. The one game they lost to Texas Tech, they hung they hung forty-nine on the Red Raiders. They just dropped seventy on Texas Southern, as they should have. Here's their remaining schedule. They're Thursday. This Thursday, um, we're recording this on Wednesday, October third. So that's tomorrow against Tulsa at home. Uh, then they're at ECU at Navy. Home for USF. That is going to be a huge game on the 27th. Um, At SMU on November 3rd. Home for another two straight against Temple and then Tulane. The Tulane game is another Thursday night tilt. And then they have that game against Memphis on Black Friday. Um, Same day as UCF and USF. How much of a threat is Houston looking like right now?
2: I think they're the biggest threat to UCF potentially. They have the offense. In fact, I don't know if people realize, as great as Mackenzie Milton has been, Mackenzie Milton's not the highest-rated quarterback in the American Conference. It's king of Houston. Uh, he's been playing at a very high level. Uh, I think they have the athletes. We all know about Ed Oliver. Uh, I actually think if you ask me who, you know, we, we've we had this discussion, is UCF going to go undefeated? I've maintained that I think they got a great chance. Murph says 0%. I think if I look at if I handicap the schedule, I think Houston, a potential game against Houston in the American Conference title game, I think would be the actually the biggest risk. I actually uh, am more worried about that game than I am, say, a Cincinnati or Temple. Uh, even, I mean, I know some people. I, I think I would rank it as Houston, Navy, and South Florida in that order as far as the three toughest games that I think UCF could trip up.
0: What do you say, uh, Brian?
2: Yeah, that's probably true because UCF has not faced
1: at least this dangerous of an offense and, and may not, you know, SMU is certainly struggling. Uh, so yeah. So in terms of like, not only, not, you know, not only, uh, you know, can, can we play some defense, but we can also try to outscore you, which is, which is really a, a task that UCF has not really faced, mm-hmm. uh, thus far and probably won't until that point. Um, so yeah, I kind of agree with, I kind of agree with Eric and I would say that that Navy game, like we've mentioned, the one thing working is that they have 10 days to prepare for that game. Um, but I really, you know, you know, yes, I still hold true to my 0.0 because it would be stupid for me to back out of that now. <laughs>
2: but
0: I, I would,
1: because I, I would, I'm a man. Uh, I'm 34.
0: you're you're forty? No, okay.
1: I'm thirty four. But it, you know, at least you know, there certainly is a better chance now than I assumed at the start of the season. <laughs> this team is better than I imagined it would be. But I, I, I still really don't see. I, I don't see them losing at home. I just don't see them losing at home in the regular season at all. I, I think the the biggest opportunities for them to slip up actually would be South Florida and then Navy. Houston would be at the top if they meet in the conference title game. Um, and obviously Memphis was probably in that mix early on, but with with the way they're going, their injuries, they have a lot of injuries on defense. Um, that's probably dropped down the list.
0: Yeah. Well, Memphis, to their credit, they do have the leading rusher in the conference and Daryl Henderson and yeah, uh, their their quarterback Brady White is actually tops in the league in pass efficiency. You mentioned De'Eric King, the uh, quarterback for Houston, right now he is second in the conference in passing yards per game at two ninety nine. Milton's at three hundred five point eight, uh, but he is second behind White in efficiency at one seventy five. So, um, yeah, he's going to be he's going to be a problem if UCF has to deal with him him and also Marquez Stevenson uh their wide receiver who's very good to this point. He and Mackenzie Milton are basically one two in passing total yardage and all that heading into uh a- heading into at least this week uh for right now. So anyway, um we'll just wrap up the talk with football here with uh with SMU and UCF. Uh like we mentioned before, Knights are uh twenty four point favorites over under seventy five. Um Elo lines time, Eric, what do you think? Over and cover? <laughs>
2: Yep, that's what I – I went with UCF last week, Pay it, paid off. Uh, had a nice week, by the way. Took ODU to cover ECU and, 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 and other picks. Yeah, I think UCF – there's no way I'm not picking UCF to cover anytime soon right now, <laughs> the way their uh, offense is playing. And, look, I mean, credit this to the defense. I mean, granted, Pitt's offense is terrible. but I thought Shannon's group played their best game of the year. I thought they were more locked in. They're uh, great. I thought there were some positives uh, from that standpoint. So, uh, yeah, I I would take the over at UCF. And then the over is tricky because, you know, can UCF – does UCF want to score 45 or do they want to score 60? You know, I I mean, does SMU get a couple late scores? Who knows? But uh, I would be shocked, again, if this game was even a game at halftime.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's – I I think that if you want to do something really fun, check out what UCF statistics, defensive statistics, would have been in the pit game minus – Pitt's last offensive play, which was a fifty eight yard touchdown pass. If you take that away, um Pitt had two hundred and fourteen total. excuse me, two hundred and let's see, six, five, yeah, two hundred and fourteen <laughs> total yards. Two hundred and fourteen yeah. total yards on fifty eight plays. Um and their only points, aside from that, were on a were on an eighty six yard punt return um which is uh, you know you got to you got to sing the praises of the defense when it's when it's merited well, go ahead bry yeah.
2: for by the yeah. way wait, one more thing you forgot the most impressive stat about Pittsburgh's offense nobody cramped on the offensive side of the ball yeah <laughs> <laughs> that
0: okay well, well, I, okay real quick I did want to touch upon that because oh, we did see some gamesmanship I think it's just look it's just obvious all right it's just obvious there's video of one pit player a defensive lineman kind of looking over toward the sideline and then suddenly looking like he got you know he got a cramp in his um
1: he got he got sniped he got, he got sniped. sniped
0: um there was also video of uh, another pit player looking as though he grabbed mckenzie milton by the ankle on one of his touchdown runs and in, intentionally tried to twist his ankle um this is this is the kind of stuff that i get worried about is the gamesmanship, the teams that are like, "Well, we can't stop them, we can't even really slow them down, so let's let's try and just muck up the ball game, if you will. all right
1: That's um, a, that, a patent our coaching philosophy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay, so here's my question to you guys. If you're UCF, what do you do about that?
1: Nothing. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. They can't keep up with you. The only way they came up with you is by faking injury. I mean, mean, and and, and guys have been trying to hurt star players on other teams since the dawn of the sport. I get that. I mean, so there's nothing really you can do about that.
0: Eric?
2: The only thing I would say is if you've got the game in hand, I would take Mackenzie Milton out as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. That was one little caveat that I would say there. And that's a,
0: that's a damned-if-you-do-damned-if-you-don't situation because here you are trying to... The, the more press that Mackenzie Milton gets in the Heisman race, the more press UCF is going to get in national college football yeah, media but he, in terms of how good play, their team he is, need, right?
2: He doesn't need to play four quarters to get Heisman hype. The guy that's going to win the Heisman trophy hasn't even played in the sec, in the fourth quarter this year yet. <laughs> so in, in Tua, they haven't, I, I don't even know how many third quarters he's played this year. So... um I know he hasn't attempted
0: a fourth-quarter pass yet.
2: Yeah, he hasn't played fourth-quarter. I'm pretty sure. Me and Murph saw him in the first game of the year. We both looked at each other like, well, there's your Heisman Trophy winner. (laughs) (laughs) Alabama has a quarterback now. Look out. Um, So I, I don't think that should be a part of it. I do think this because in fairness to uh, Pitt in this regard, they're not the first team to have tried this stunt against a team that runs a uh, no huddle. If you watch the Virginia tech, Florida state game, in fact, on Labor Day night, Virginia tech did the same strategy. The problem is we I think college football is going to run into an issue here and they're going to have to address this because I think more and more schools are going to try the fake injuries because there's really nothing you could do about it. You can't just say, all right, keep playing because you have to worry about a player safety. Um, but I think you're going to see more and more of that, and I think oh, there's going to be coaches that are going to push for the elimination of no huddles as far as throughout the game, and they're going to use safety of the players as a reason.
0: Yeah, but they, know, they'll because, never be able to get that passed.
2: I disagree. I, you look at the NFL and everybody complaining about worrying about CTE and injuries, and you look at college football with teams running 80 plays a game. I do think in the next five to ten years, I think there's going to be a big push to eliminate no huddles and force teams to slow down the pace for safety. That's what they will use. I know Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher have been big critics of the no huddle um, from that standpoint. So I think that's going to be – I think if you see more and more of this, I think in the next five to ten years, you're going to see a push to slow things down at least for safety purposes. And then maybe then you can – and they've tried to tweak it. They've tried to do it where if an offensive team – Makes a a a lineup change during, then they can allow the defense has there should be allowed to make a defensive change. So they've tried to meet both ways on this, but I I, it's getting it's starting to get out of hand with teams faking these injuries because this is not just isolated to the UCF pit game. This has been this is starting to go to happen now across the board.
0: Yeah, I don't think you'll. uh, I see what you I see what you're saying, but I don't think for the sake of the game that you'll ever be able that they'll ever be able to actually do away with no huddle offense. That's just not going to happen. Uh, it's too exciting. It's too fun for the fans. Um, it keeps games interesting because if you're down, you can come back. It's just it, it, it's not going to happen. Now, I could see a situation where maybe they change a rule where you can't snap the ball until 10 seconds through the play clock. Um, maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe maybe something, something like maybe something like that, but that to me is the only way you can really govern it. I mean, you, you can't you can't have the official stand there in the huddle and say nope, you can't snap the ball yet. Right. You know. No, I, I think that's fair. So I I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. I just don't think it's gonna. And then you're gonna get backlash from a lot of the other teams saying, well, how can you how can you tell us, you know, when to run a play, when you know we're following well, the rules it, of the play you know, I think they're so, going
2: you know. to use the safety of the players. Because you're running all these plays, you're a lot of physical contact. Because here's the thing, Pittsburgh will not. To Murph's point, Pittsburgh will not be the last team that's going to try this against UCF. Yeah. No. In fact, I, don't, I I think you're going to see more and more of this, especially in the Amer, You know, in the American Conference and moving forward, I think you're going to see teams try to do this because there's no. You can. What, what's the punishment? There's there's nothing they can do about it. You can't. You know, they're not going to continue yeah. to play.
0: You, of you the can't, of the you, yeah, I mean, and you're not going to have an official walk over and be like, "Get up, son. You're not hurt." You know, I mean, right. could you imagine? <laughs> <Right>. now, <laughs> yeah.
2: the, now, I, now, I think Hypo, and you were there, Murph. I think had the best, you know, didn't work. I mean, you still could score. I mean, so it's <laughs> no, not he, like I, I, his you know. his
1: best his best response to it was when we asked him, "Did you think they were intentionally trying to stop you by cramp by fake cramping?" And he goes, "You all saw the game, right? <laughs>
0: Great, <laughs> fantastic." Well, he's right. He's exactly right. So anyway, let's take a quick break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk about um, men's soccer, women's soccer, and we're going to talk some volleyball in the RPI uh, coming up. Um, Coach Ta- we'll see how Coach Ta- Todd Dagenais' uh, gambit has worked. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. He's a proud UCF graduate, Class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 football season. Knight fans, if you work with Sam as your realtor, he will rebate you up to $750 at closing. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at wesellorlando.net. Again, that's wesellorlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at facebook.com slash We Sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Trolko. Um uh um
1: where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the black and gold banneret podcast. Oh yeah, I've I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF Sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF Sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on!
2: Now back to you guys and the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.
0: Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, Eric Lopez with you. Uh black is where you want to go. UCF underscore banneret on Twitter and Black and Gold Banner, Excuse me, Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret on Facebook. Um, all right, I wanted to dive in because this has been a really good week for um, for the Olympic sports for UCF. We're going to start with men's soccer, who uh they won both of their games at home this past week uh coming off that one nothing loss uh at Temple to start the conference season uh they won two they're 7-2 and 1 overall um they won a conference match against uh, SMU two to nothing that was key but then against Jacksonville um non-conference matchup they uh they man they got out the truck stick on this team because the final was 8 to 1 <laughs> um, it's, it was every bit as ter- as as uh, as as much of a demolition as you could possibly imagine. Cal Jennings, um, two goal actually four players each had two goals. Um, Cal Jennings and then three substitutes had two goals each. Richard Ammon, um, Walker Dawkins had two, and C.J. Campbell had two. Yannick Edel, um, was named the goalie of the week for UCF, um. But like I mean, eight, eight, eight goals <laughs> against against Ju. It was just crazy, and it was Coach Calabrese's 100th uh, career victory. What a way to get it! Um, we knew that this team was going to have some offense coming into this year, but um, it, the way that they did that was really impressive. So right now, the Knights uh, are at one and one in the league. Uh, they are tied for third with four other teams if you can believe it. UConn and USF are one oh and one in the American right now. But the thing you want to look at is the uh is the RPI. Um, UCF right now is thirty-fifth in the RPI. And among AAC teams they are second. Uh UConn right now is fifteenth and that game is starting to uh, loom large, as UCF does play UConn, Friday, October the 12th. Um, they're at Tulsa this week, Saturday, October 6th, but that Friday, October 12th game against UConn, that's um, a 4 p.m. kick on ESPNU. Nonetheless, Eric Lopez, that is looming very large for UCF men's soccer right now.
2: It is, and we you know, we've talked so much about the football offense. How about the men's soccer offense? Still number one in the country shots per game top 20 in goals per game, points per game. I mean, this team is just a juggernaut offensively. Yeah. Not to I mention mean, Cal
0: just, Jennings by the way, who's tied for third in the nation in goals with 10.
2: 10. And and this I'm going to say a very it, think about that. That's amazing. I mean, what's ama- what's even more amazing, I mean, the guy that's leading the the nation uh, has 19 goals for Denver,
0: which yeah. is wild. Andre, Otherwise, Andre Shinyashiki. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, but Jennings, I mean, right now would probably be the American conference player of the year. I mean, he's taking it to a different level, especially since I did the, uh, seven points with him, by the way, uh, which <laughs> popped there. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'll put you, maybe I'll put it to this way. I know this will be a controversial statement to some in the audience. We remember, we talked about this in the Banny show about, well, is was McKenzie Milton, the lock, right. For that player of the year in this upcoming year for UCF, he'd be the overwhelming favorite. Who would be a guy that could challenge him? And we said maybe a guy like B.J. Taylor could challenge him. I think Cal Jennings is right there. I mean, this guy think has he been is yeah. unbelievable. Um, it's not a knock on mill. It's a compliment to Jennings. He has played at a super high level. I think he's got a shot to be an All-American. Um, and could probably play. And, and the thing is, he's just a sophomore. Soft- uh, what is he, just a sophomore, I believe? I mean, he's just having an incredible year. And, uh, you know, I wondered... Going into the year, you know where you know the offense would it be as good? Remember, they lost one of their best players in the history of the program to graduation. You're thinking, mm-hmm. well, maybe there'll be a drop up. Nope. No Cal's, a ju-
0: Cal's a junior, by the way, but still. <laughs> and thank, I mean, thank you. I um, you.
2: I'm thinking um, sophomore of year, your, but you're right, junior year. Still, yeah. I mean, um, yeah,
0: but he's you know, as though as though that's that matters all that much in the conversation. He's, he's really been spectacular, and um, yeah, I think he does have an inside track right now. It'll, it at least right now. Um, American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. Certainly, he's a top contender. Uh, National All-American. Certainly, a contender. Um, and of course, most importantly, Banny's UCF Male yeah! Athlete of the Year. Possibly I'm saying, major brother, contender I'm there. So, um this is a team that's definitely worth checking out right now. Because, uh, and once again, they do have um, that uh, the game at Tulsa that you can watch uh, online on Saturday, October the sixth, but. Circle your calendars for that Friday, October 12th game at 4 p.m. on ESPNU, UCF against UConn. Like I mentioned, well, UConn and, 15, 15th in the RPI. That's a huge game for UCF.
2: Huge game. You can make the argument, you know, maybe the two best teams there. I mean, they, remember, they played a very controversial semifinal game last year mm-hmm. uh, where, where UCF held on to win 1-0. There was a goal that UConn thought they scored. It didn't. And you look back to last year, Jeff, it, really the, the turning point in the Calabrese era, was when they went into Stores Connecticut and upset UConn in Stores Connecticut at that time, because I saw UConn in person. I did sideline uh, for one of their games last year. They were one of the top defensive teams in the country. UCF went in there and scored three goals and beat them, and they upset them. It kept their hopes alive to go to the conference tournament. They would go out and win out and make the conference tournament. Uh, so that was the turning point. The way, that's, it, that's news, by the way, that you broke, that that's on ESPNU, because I'll give you a full a little backstory on that that match was originally going to be an American digital network match.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but ESPN swooped in and said, no, we want to carry that game. So that tells you about the respect and the credit uh, that they wanted to carry that UConn UCF men's soccer game yeah. on ESPNU. That tells you how big that is.
0: Do credit to our friends at the American digital network. That's good for both squads and it's good for the conference that that game is on ESPNU. It really is. So, um, key thing to watch there uh their counterparts on the women's team eric we were a little bit worried about them heading into conference play they're three three and one Uh, well they won both of their matches over the weekend uh on the road in that northeastern road trip they beat temple two to one and then in a wild game up in stores they beat uconn five to three uh stephanie sanders had a hat trick that game was on the american digital network um And for Stephanie, it's her second hat trick in three games. The first night since 1991 to do that. She was named Offensive Player of the Week in the American. And uh, the offense is really running through her. She and Cal Jennings, by the way, um, uh, make UCF the only school in the nation with both a men's and a women's soccer player who have each scored two hat tricks um, this season. Her other one came against Stetson, but... Uh right now UCF stands at 5 uh 3 and 1 is that it yeah 5 3 and 1 and 2 and 0 in the conference so they're they're tops in the league um at least as of uh at least as of right now but they remember they do the point system so SMU right now leads in conference points with 9 because they've won 3 matches and lost one Houston's 2-1 one and 1 um so they have 7 and then UCF Memphis and Temple are all tied with six points but um, it, 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 this is one of the situations where it, it, you, you we were worried about them heading down the stretch a little bit but at least things are starting to pick up. They right now their their RPI though right now Eric is 81 and <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's the real that's the real concern I think right now for Tiffany Roberts headache.
2: It is absolutely a concern. Who would have thought at the beginning of the year, you know, we talked about all these teams and the team that's in the biggest jeopardy of missing postseason would be the women's soccer program because yeah. i think men's soccer is in good shape to make the tournament we'll get into volleyball in that situation they're in great shape obviously football uh, soccer is the one that's kind of in a, in a jeopardy and it reminds me a little bit of what happened with softball this past year where they have some quality wins but they also had some losses that hurt their rpi some results that really hurt mm-hmm. the rpi and i actually talked to our friend chris henderson who's been on this uh Podcast. He's like the he's the guru in women's soccer. I mean, yes. He's like the Joe Lunardi. With he knows inside he's, out. He's it's,
0: both he's both the Joe Lunardi and the Woj of women's soccer. Like yeah, combined,
2: correct. And, and and I talked to him, and he's concerned that the American Conference might just be a one bid league this year. They had some bad results over the weekend. South Florida, who was the defending conference tournament champions, were upset at Temple. Uh, they lost to Temple, so their RPI dropped significantly, all the way down to seventy three, for example. Uh right now, you look at the RPIs, Memphis is in the best shape at thirteen with a ten and one record. Yeah. And then you go all the way down to Cincinnati at forty six, who by the way, UCF plays this weekend. That's a big match. So UCF's gotta go on a roll here, Jeff, and get some wins. That's the good news. If you get some wins there, uh that could go up, but uh that is certainly nervous and there's no room for error. I mean, I think you have to not I mean the good news is they're gonna go try to win the conference title anyway, but uh, they may have to win the conference title to get in. I, I don't. It's a, it's a weird Do, year in the league. I think it's a down year. It's a kind of a, 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 a very
0: bizarre year. Do you think they have to run the table?
2: Uh that's a great question. You know, I, I pretty close because there are four teams that.
0: ahead. There are four teams ahead of them in the RPI right now. You mentioned Cincinnati at forty-six, who they play, not in their next game, but the following. They're playing Thursday, seven p.m. against East Carolina at home. And then Sunday at one against Cincinnati. East Carolina um, right now is one and three in the league, six four and two overall. You know, not not overly spectacular. But uh, you mentioned Memphis uh, at ten and one, or uh, Ersk- uh, well, they have them on the road on October the eleventh. But Cincy uh, is uh, one two and one in the league, six five and two overall. But they have that gaudy RPI. And then you know, we mentioned obviously Memphis. Who's sitting at 13 in the RPI right now at 10 one? Memphis Soccer is back, folks. Um, yeah, and uh, they're five and they're undefeated on the road. They're only losses at home. Um, they're looking really, really sharp right now. So you do have four teams ahead of you. If UCF runs the table, do you think that they could get in?
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I you know, because you would have had to have beaten Cincinnati, Memphis. I mean, in talking to Chris. I think Memphis right now is the favorite in the league, mm. but if UCF were to, you know, I think, and I think we're going to know a lot about this team after this the Cincinnati match and the Memphis match. But more importantly, you know, don't trip up in a game that you're supposed to, you know, supposed to win, quote unquote. Don't have a draw. You know, that's the other thing you have yeah. to watch out. Um,
0: yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't bomb against. Uh, well, I mean, they already beat UConn, but and and that, by the way, was was a little too close for <laughs> comfort because UConn's yeah. not very good and no. you know, granted okay it was on the road but five to three it's a little bit closer than you're probably expecting but you don't want to trip up against ECU you don't want to trip up against Tulsa right. USF is kind of scuffling right now you don't want to you don't want to you know lose that game we know how last year went with them so um yeah. so yeah this is this is crunch time this is definitely crunch time for uh for UCF women's soccer right now and um, and I think that Cincinnati game, that, that two game stretch home for Cincinnati on Sunday, followed by at Memphis on Thursday, October 11th. Um, no word on any television for the Memphis game, but, um, man, those are two huge matches back to back. Yeah,
2: I think after those two matches, we'll have an idea of where this team's at and what their aspirations are for the postseason after those matches. If I think we'll, we'll have to reevaluate after that and see where they're at. If they are undefeated at that point, then I think we're in good shape. I do think they get the benefit of the doubt if they're in the bubble because of their tradition. But if they trip up, then they may have to win the conference tournament. Who knows? I mean, it's uh, it's a very unique year in the league where it might just be a one-bid league, maybe two tops.
0: Yeah, so we'll be keeping an eye on that uh, coming up. So we got a big weekend of soccer coming up. How about that? Um, all right, over to volleyball. And I wanted to talk about volleyball because – well obviously it's volleyball and i love volleyball but um we are seeing something really special brewing right now for UCF they're 3 and 0 in the league uh 12 and 3 overall uh and undefeated at home and 6 and 0 they went on the road for their first pair for their first two match weekend and it wasn't an easy weekend either they were at Tulane and then at Memphis they beat Tulane in 4 they sweep Memphis, uh, and that gets them to uh, three to three and zero in the league. Coming back home for the biggest weekend of conference play that they have yet, where they're playing Tulsa and then Wichita State. Now, here's why this is so huge. Um, right now in the American, UCF is in a three way tie at the top with Cincinnati and Tulsa. Wichita State, by the way, who went undefeated last year in the American, they went twenty and zero in the league. They're tied for fourth with three other teams at two and one. They're off to a very rough start. Seven and seven. You worry about, you know, how good this team could be. Um, to me, it's right now it's Tulsa Cincinnati. And if you, and if Wichita state gets hot, that could, that could group could decide the conference. Um, Cincinnati, obviously with Jordan Thompson back after an injury last year, um, UCF doesn't have to worry about them until Sunday, October 21st. But um, with Tulsa coming in on Friday and Wichita State on Sunday at 7, and 1, uh, 7 p.m. and 1 p.m. respectively, this is going to be really key for UCF. And that Memphis match, by the way, um, we're seeing a star being born right now for UCF uh, in uh, in uh, McKenna-Melville. Um, even though she only had seven kills in that um in that in that match against uh, uh, against Memphis, what ended up happening was teams are understanding that even though she's a true freshman, she's the key to the offense, and so UCF ended up having to go away from her, and she was an excellent decoy. She enabled Christina Fisher to rack up another eleven kills. Uh, the Olsen twins combined for thirty assists, and UCF was able to uh, to get to victory. Also nine digs for McKenna on that, combined with sixteen digs from. Jordan Pingle another nine from Amber Olson and um, and this team is humming right now. Uh, if you look and and this is the big news for UCF, first RPI of the year came out for volleyball. And remember Todd Dagenais in the preseason interview, he said, "I'm sick and tired of getting, basically getting screwed by the RPI year after year. So I'm so I'm I'm gonna play the game. I'm gonna I scheduled like I'm playing the game and I'm gonna and I'm gonna get this RPI." for once and for all. Well, his gambit worked because UCF is 14th in the country in the first RPI of the year for volleyball. Um, They are way ahead of any AAC team right now. Uh, The next closest is Wichita at 42. So, by the way, that gives you an indication about Wichita and the kind of year that they're having. Cincinnati's 46th, Tulsa's 75th. So UCF has got matches against um two of the top three uh, two of the other top four teams in the RPI from the American uh coming up and by the way USF a team that they beat in 5 in Tampa in their first conference match at 13 and 3 uh USF is 80th in the RPI so um there's your cluster of it and the offense has been really something 16th in the country in kills per set with 14.1 that's tops in the conference uh and coming back this week, this is just a huge week for UCF uh coming up. So um by the way, Jordan Pingle made the honor roll uh once again for UCF. Um and she's having an outstanding uh outstanding year. it's so good to see her getting um getting recognized. But uh but yeah this is man, this is this is starting to get really interesting for UCF volleyball. I think my question is how much more do you think we can learn right now from these next two matches, I think we're going to learn a lot, and I think this is probably going to be the toughest weekend that this, that this freshman laden team is going to have. Eric,
2: yeah, I mean Tulsa—that's a big match. Tulsa with a seventy five RPI. If you beat a UCF team on the road that has a fourteen RPI, you're gonna, your RPI is going to jump majorly. Mm-hmm. So Tulsa is going—that's a huge match. And then you know Wichita State, defending champion, speaks for itself. Let me ask you this: You're the volleyball guru, <laughs> all right? All right, so we've spent, you know, fans have spent so much time about the football ranking, right, Merv? Oh, where is this football team ranked? It's unfair. We're getting screwed, and just I would argue the football team is getting treated treated fairly and well compared to the volleyball team, Jeffrey, who <laughs> somehow, despite the fact they beat USC, all right, who's ranked fourth in the RPI, they played a tough schedule, has not received a vote not one vote in this top 25 poll yeah how explain
0: they were receiving votes earlier this year and they're not anymore now what bear happened? bear in mind they beat USC and in the following match they probably should have beaten Florida uh, I they they played well enough to win some things that were out of control kind of came up to bite them Um but i'll i'll go down saying that 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 win should have been it should have gone to UCF and that that match should have played out a little bit differently um interestingly enough the only american athletic conference team that's receiving any votes in the um in the AVCA coaches poll right now is cincinnati and they're the dead last team named in the poll they're receiving only 3 votes and, and you know and cincinnati okay 12 and 4 overall 3 and 0 in the conference. UCF is 12 and 3, 3 and 0 in the conference. But Cincinnati has Jordan Thompson and UCF does not, and that's why people are paying atten- more attention to Cincinnati than they are to USF. I'm really looking forward to the first time that those two teams match up because this these two matches this weekend, followed by the at Cincinnati match on Sunday, October 21st, we could see a real coming out party for for a for UCF in the national profile for um for you know the Olsen sisters, McKenna Melville and and Christina Fisher. Um to see what they're able to do. By the way, Cincinnati does come here also on Friday, November the ninth. So that's another uh date that you want to circle on the calendar. I I I I've hated the college the, the college volleyball coaches poll since day one. I mean you know, t- t- Todd, Todd looks at it and just kind of shrugs his shoulders anytime we talk about it. But, um, well, let, me
2: ask, but let me ask you this, because you follow the sport a lot closer than I have. But I, I've, you know, I followed it closely, having done matches on the American Digital Network the last few years. Yeah. Um, and I've talked to Todd about this. And, I, you know, obviously, I know people that worked in the sport. I mean, you talk. I mean, people complain about biasness in football. I mean, volleyball, as you know, that thing is Big Ten, Pac-12 dominated, right? It's Big Ten yeah. teams, Pac-12 teams, and Texas. And my concern is, and I know that with Todd, we've talked about this. A couple of years ago, it was a banner year for the league in the mm-hmm. America because it was the first time they got multiple teams into the NCAA tournament. That was the year that I believe Cincinnati got in and uh, helped me out here. I think it was uh, was it uh, SMU
0: that won the league I think it was that SMU, year? Was yeah, they, yeah, they got in.
2: And remember, Temple just got left out. And I thought they had a shot to get in, and UCF was even on the outside looking in, but they got UC- two bids. That was the first time. Yeah. Well, th- well, that was uh, the year, by the way, change. if I'm
0: not mistaken, someone will have to correct me on this, but if I'm not mistaken, that was the year that that UCF actually won more matches than Cincinnati and didn't get in.
2: Right, because the RPI. Right. You know, Cincinnati had a higher RPI, Jordan Thompson, and like you yeah. mentioned. My concern is... Is the American going to be getting multiple bid league? Like, does UCF have to win the league just to uh, to get in? Like, you know, the RPI looks good, but do you trust the committee, Jeff? If UCF doesn't win the league, that they can get in as an at large as a possible second team from the American Conference based on what you've Man. seen from vo- uh, like, you know committees in volleyball.
0: Well, i I wanted I, I want to point out a couple of facts this year that that. Stuff is all screwed up in college volleyball right now. Um, You have BYU right now, number one in the country, who, by the way, is is in neither the Pac-12 nor the Big Ten. Although you do have Stanford, number two, and then Nebraska, Big Ten, Texas, uh, Big 12, Minnesota, Big Ten, Wisconsin, Big Ten, Illinois, Big Ten, Pitt, ACC, Penn State, Big Ten, Creighton, I forget, Florida, SEC, and then Southern Cal, Pac-12. Um... Purdue's also in the top twenty-five, as is, uh, and then you have your Pac-12. It's kind of a down year for the Pac-12, if you can say that, because they still have like what five or six teams ranked in the top twenty-five. <laughs> um, but what we know is that the top is that the coaches poll doesn't matter. What matters is the RPI, and you know Todd's been talking about this. Uh, <laughs> by the way, we've we've said before, you know, obviously college baseball or excuse me, college basketball. Is, has replaced the RPI with some other opaque rating system that they created for themselves. Um, the It'll probably follow suit in other sports as well. I would imagine that it would at least in volleyball. But the gambit is working where right now UCF is 14th in the RPI. It, now, I would imagine that if they were to maintain an RPI high enough such that they would be a virtual lock to get into the tournament. Well in order for them to actually maintain an RPI that high, they would mind you, they play each team in the conference twice. They're the yep. only team they're the only team that does that in the fall sports. Um, they would end they would probably end up having to split against Cincinnati, split yep. against Wichita um and probably can't have any bad losses yeah you can't have yeah and you can't have any bad losses that's the other thing like you're gonna have to you're gonna have to sweep temple you're gonna have to sweep memphis you're gonna have to sweep smu um that road trip out to wichita state's brutal but you got but i think that this week is the must win weekend you gotta win i think you gotta win these two matches not just to serve notice to these other two teams but um, but to make sure that you maintain your RPI at this at this level through the first match against those teams um, and then let the chips fall where they may. Um, I do think you do. have well, and, you, to... and
2: you also want to take advantage of the three and oh start on the road. You don't want to yeah. give that back by at least dropping a match at home. You want to right. take advantage of that. It's, you've talked about it's tough enough to win in the road in any league let alone a league where you're playing teams home and home, mm-hmm. uh, and to go 3-0 and on the road to start your league play with now the majority of your conference games at home, the last thing you want to do is give some of those back.
0: Yeah, and, and if you can defend the home court, you know, right now there are only three undefeated teams at home in the American. UCF is one of them at 6-0. Tulsa is 7-0 at home. And Wichita State is only 2-0 and at home. They played five matches in neutral sites and seven on the road. But um, obviously, that's going to even itself out over the course of the conference year. Um, I just think that in, in a year where Wichita's scuffling a little bit, they look they look human. <laughs> Last year they didn't look human. They look human this time. You've got a Tulsa team that's back and 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 making some noise. Cincinnati is back on top. You've already set no, sent notice to everybody by beating USF in Tampa. Now you got to really, you know, hammer down and try and get this, um, get this Tulsa Wichita weekend in the bag, at home because again they are going to be two very tough teams to beat on the road. Um, man, that's going to be that's going to be tough one way or the other. But if you can split home and home against the top competition that are up there in the RPI, you'll be they'll be able to maintain that RPI heading into the end of the year. Remember, there's no volleyball tournament. So I, I think that I think that it's much more likely right now that soccer's a one bid league than volleyball's a one bid league. This at least this year. But of course, I could be wrong. And I've been wrong in the past. <laughs> so, so anyway. Never. Not,
1: I, I I would just like to say Jeffrey has never been wrong. But now I'll go I'll go back oh, to being no, no, silent. No.
0: That's false. That's false. <laughs> I've been wrong before. Everyone knows I've been wrong. It's happened. Be- it's happened. But you're, no, many, I, I
2: kind of I agree with you. By the way, on paper, to me, and I don't know if this has happened before. Maybe, maybe that year that the volleyball had two bids. But this might be the first time that I can remember the volleyball uh, is a stronger league than women's soccer in the American.
0: Um, I think they've been on a pa- on a par on a couple years in the past. Um. But this is the. I think that this is the strongest overall that yeah. that they've been. If you combine them, if that's I agree. What you're, I, if that's I think, what you're trying to say, I mean,
2: we've seen. I think the American in volleyball is capable of having a three bid league this year. Yeah, I just don't know if the committee's willing to
0: do that. That's yeah, my well, concern. Well, that's the thing. I, I think that when when it comes down to it, I do think that the three teams that are definitely going to be worthy, assuming this all everything plays out the way I'm thinking it will play out, and everybody stays healthy. It's going to be Cincinnati, it's going to be Wichita, it's going to be UCF. No yep. no slight against Tulsa, but I, I just don't know if they have the horses to keep up with it. They might, but I don't know. Um, it, Jordan Thompson is going to lead Cincinnati. Wichita is Wichita. And then I think UCF is really talented, and they're going to surprise some people. Um, if not them, probably Tulsa or USF are probably chomping at the bit. But, you know, USF right now, you know, they're already down a game to UCF head-to-head. Yep. So... Yep. That's that's the problem that that they're running into. Uh, well, it's not a problem for us, <laughs> anyway. So there you have it. We've got uh, volleyball this weekend coming up. I will. By the way, I will not be doing PA for the Friday match, oh! but I will be back. Right, I will be back for the Sunday match against Wichita State, which will be critical.
2: Murph, hey, Mur- uh, Mur, Jeff's got a Phil Collins concert. That's
0: right. So. I listen. It is on the bucket list. Oh, good that is why okay. I'm driving down to South Florida to go see Phil Collins <laughs> in his in his farewell tour. Um, it, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Don't at me, okay? I don't want to hear it from anybody. It's, uh, I'm going down to see it, okay? Just
2: hey, I love Phil Collins. In fact, I want to request that we should close this show with a Phil Collins song to close the show.
0: I, I mean, can't copyright. Right, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> copyright. <laughs> but uh, there's that, and there's also the. So there's the volleyball on Friday. Um and then the uh and then and then Sunday of course. Uh soccer men's soccer's on the road and then uh, of course we have women's soccer back home this weekend once again to fill out your slate on uh, Thursday and Sunday as well. So uh by the way, w- women's soccer against Cincinnati and uh volleyball uh, across from each other against Wichita, which is kind of a wow. Ball. Uh, I can't. St- I. I that, I'm so <laughs> bummed out by that. I'm so bummed out by that. So, Are they still doing the
2: same exact start times too? They're not even like doing it by an hour it's, difference it's or anything. One like o-
0: that? It's one o'clock for soccer, and I gotta pull up the volleyball again. Hang on, I'll tell you. I think it's one o'clock for volleyball.
2: What's your favorite so, yeah. Bill Collins song, Murph? I, I'm a take me home guy. You know what I mean? I mean that's kind of. Weird.
0: I mean. I, I mean. Same, star, just same just start. Same too- start time. By the way, for both teams. I'm sorry, Murph. Go ahead.
1: Is not it at studio? Isn't that like the, the Phil Collins song that everybody sort of knows? There's plenty, brother. Okay, that's He's not like,
0: the answer to the question. The question is, which one is your favorite?
1: Well, first <laughs> of all, I'm not a child of the 80s, but I do <laughs> want to say this about Phil Collins. Wait, 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 wait wait, wait, wait a second. How old are you again? <laughs> I'm not a child of the 80s. I was born in 84. I was, I was born 90s. in 83.
0: We are children of the 80s. I don't want to hear I,
1: it. I, absolutely not. I'm absolutely not a <laughs> child of the 80s. I grew up in the '90s. I was I I I, I don't even remember anything until 1988. Hmm. My first memories of life aren't until the '88. Oh my gosh!
2: Dodgers World Series in '88.
1: Yeah, my dad hated it. My dad hated that <laughs> World Series. But no, Jeff, Jeff, you know, like Phil Collins
0: is like like debilitated, like he's broken down. He's uh, yeah. well, he can still sing. Um but he can't it's play the drums thing. anymore, which makes me which makes me very sad because I myself play the drums and I actually more or less learned to play the drums by watching him. Uh watching concerts of him with Genesis and 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 solo and that makes me very sad that I won't be able however his son Nicholas, who is seventeen years old, is actually serving as his drummer on this tour. Right. Right. now, Yeah. I know. All right. So I've been doing a little YouTube deep dive on Nicholas Collins's drumming ability. This kid can friggin' bring it. Right. He, he's really good and sounds exactly like his father. I just didn't know. If, I didn't know if you
1: understood that. Like the Phil Collins you're getting is not the Phil Collins of like of the '80s. Like he has to sit in a chair for the entire
0: three no, hours. but but then again, a couple <laughs> weeks ago I was at Paul Simon for his farewell yes. tour. Yes. Paul Simon's not the same Paul Simon, but it's still Paul Simon. It's, they're on my bucket list. i got to go see these guys before they, you know, kick the bucket.
2: In defense of Murph, I mean, Phil Collins' best stuff was kind of past his prime by the time Murph started paying attention in 88, 89. I mean, most of Phil's strong stuff was mid early to mid-80s. I mean, yeah, in they, the air tonight.
0: Yeah, the both – so, you know, okay, Well, hold up, know, hold up, hold up. I, I will – I will. uh, I I will come in with the both sides album being my favorite album, and that was nineteen ninety three.
1: So I don't care about Genesis or Phil Collins. What I want to point out here is that (laughs) Jeffrey started drumming because of Phil Collins. Correctly.
0: Correctly. Yep.
1: I I did start drumming as a child as well. I started drumming in the fourth grade because I was inspired by Dave Grohl of the band Nirvana. Because I'm a child of the nineties, Jeffrey. Nineties for me, not the eighties. Get the (laughs) eighties out of here.
0: That's awful. Loud. No. Dave Grohl is your guy because you're in LA, not because you're a child of the nineties, that's why. What
2: <laughs> <laughs> isn't Dave Grohl in see- Nirvana like Seattle?
0: There was a Seattle scene, bro. But 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 okay, yeah. but he but but okay, that was that was his that was his Nirvana days, but still West Coast, and then when he was with the Foo Fighters, they moved down to Los Angeles.
1: I'm seven years old when I like Nirvana nobody when who's seven years old says I, I
0: hope I know what city this band
1: is from no one <laughs> says that
0: yeah man anyway mm. you West Coast guys unbelievable what is this <laughs> 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 oh, alright um, well you have a, uh, by the way a new idea for a podcast as we break down music for the 80s and 90s I'm sure everyone will, <laughs> sure everyone will listen to that so all right. Yeah. Uh let's wrap this thing up here. Uh Elo, what do you got this week? I don't know. How I'm gonna, I'm supposed to follow that. Um I don't know how I'm going to follow You don't that, have to. I might, <laughs> I might just play some Phil
2: Collins, uh, you know, and kind of uh and then, you know, play some, you know, Foo Fighters and compare. I don't know. Um I what do I what do I have? I don't know what I have on store. Actually, you can go right now to Black dot blackandgoldbanner.com and check out my piece on the TV numbers for the mm-hmm. UCF Pittsburgh. Kind of a mixed bag on that. On the television numbers there, they had over 200,000 viewers there for the game. It was okay. It's not great. Okay for uh, ESPNU
0: standards. Still still pretty, pretty low. Good, pretty good. But, and, then, and by the pretty way, good, that inclu- yeah. that included the streaming numbers too, right?
2: Yes. Yes. ESPN now includes streaming numbers on that. Uh, it was the third most watched UCF game ever on ESPNU. Obviously, the most watched was the UConn game opener this year. Ah, uh, the South Carolina game from 2015. So from that standpoint, it was good, but no, not as big of a number. You know, they usually draw a little better in that time slot. But again, it's a tough time slot, 3:30. You, you're going up against a marquee CBS SEC do, game. Do you you're think going, that was also
0: because of- they were playing, like it was Pitt dragging it down rather than UCF? Oh, yeah, it was a terrible game.
2: Yeah, I mean, that game was done at halftime. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people tuned out, so that doesn't help from a television number standpoint. So it'll be interesting because they're back on ESPNU this uh, Saturday night for the SMU game, and the big story there is among the people, uh, the broadcast team is going to be Heisman Trophy winner Andre Ware will be in the building, Mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating because, you know, there's a debate about BYU. Like, what do you classify BYU as far as – or you know what, what what level of football program they are. So if you don't consider BYU quote a mid major program uh, with Ty Detmer, you could argue that Andre Ware was the last mid major Heisman Trophy winner in '89 when he won it in with Houston. Detmer wanted it 90. Uh, yeah. now, now, won it in '90. Since then, now to be by-
0: fair though, Houston was in the Southwest Conference at that time.
2: Okay, yeah, with
0: That's Texas fair. and all them. That was before the Big Twelve. They were, I would say that, would say were- that BYU BYU is a mid major.
2: I, would say BYU. I, agree with, I, mean, I agree. I think BYU is overrated, but uh, Andre Ware will be in the building. So that's going to be a fascinating broadcast because I think it'll be fascinating. I'm fascinated to hear what Andre Ware has to say about Mackenzie Milton as a quarterback, obviously, and his chances as a Heisman. Who better than someone that's done it from a program that's, quote, not a marquee program, quote, unquote. Yeah. Especially, I mean, when you think about this, something that we may never, ever see again, a Heisman Trophy winner from a small school like Houston that was on probation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They weren't on TV back then because they were on probation. Think about that. Back then when you were on probation, they banned you from being on TV. So you didn't get to see Andre Ware except for like, you know, these weird like video highlights from TV stations,
0: sports center, (laughs) newspaper
2: box,
1: newspaper box scores.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm fascinated to hear what he has to say about Mackenzie Milton, and, and, you know, because I think that's going to be the interesting storyline that we'll get into down the road here is can Mackenzie Milton get a Heisman invite to New York? And I think that's mm-hmm. going to be very interesting. And I'll be curious what Andre Ware has to say about that. And I'm sure that's going to be brought up when UCF's up like 30 points in the third quarter.
0: Re- real quick for you, Eric. Uh, here's yeah. the games that UCF and SMU are going up against. Um, on ABC, the primetime game at 8 o'clock is Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Um Florida State Miami by the way at 3:30 that might overlap with kickoff a little bit if that game is insane. Um, no primetime game on CBS, nothing on NBC. Fox has Washington at UCLA. ESPN has undefeated Kentucky at Texas A&M. 5 and 0 Kentucky. I know the the, the sky is falling. Um, ESPN2 has Auburn at Mississippi State and then of course we have ESPNU covering SMU at UCF. No prime no Eastern primetime slot for FS1 interestingly enough. Baseball. Um, yeah, because of the baseball.
2: I think actually no, I take that back. That's a that's an American League night, so that's TBS. So I don't oh, know why. Oh, okay,
0: never mind. But but still well there's another factor, TBS uh, carrying the baseball. Yeah. Um, SEC Network is has Georgia at home for Vanderbilt. Uh, Big Ten Network, Nebraska at Wisconsin. And then CBS Sports Network has UConn at Memphis. Uh, I don't know, man. It it seems like a very piecemeal primetime slot, don't you think? The better games are all at 3.30. LSU-Florida, Florida Florida State-Miami.
2: It is, but there's just a lot of competition. There's college football and there's baseball playoffs. Remember, the Yankees and the Red Sox, game two, will be in primetime there. So that's a big TV draw there. Uh, American League playoffs is going to be a big draw. Uh, I look at that.
0: Game Murph is going to be using... mad at you for saying that, by the way. But anyway,
2: it's, it's okay. We're fine. I'm gonna, I was going to let it go. I was
1: going to let it go, Jeffrey. Okay. It go. <laughs>
2: um, if you can, I think they can get somewhere between. I think the the cap is anywhere between two fifty and five hundred thousand. It just depends and how the game goes and things like that. Um, I, I think that's the number you're looking at. If UCF can get something over three hundred, I think it's a big success. I, I, I honestly think they will be if they can even crack 200 i think it'll be you know success from that standpoint because smu is not nobody cares about smu right now so but you do have the dallas market so but yeah. they, you know most people are in oklahoma texas will be earlier in the day so therefore you you know it's not like you're going up against oklahoma texas i, I would say the number um Based, I would say I would put the number out at like 215, 200,000. 200 to 215, it would be the goal.
0: By the way, the Memphis game when it was announced would be in the 330 time slot. Um, Still to be determined which channel will carry it. Right, it could be but, it it'll, or- but it'll be one of the top three. It'll be ABC, ESPN, or ESPN2. At least what's that's what they're saying. What's interesting, don't be
2: surprised if they do this because they did this earlier this year with the Georgia Tech game against South Florida, which is... And on the East Coast, the Georgia Tech-South Florida game was on ABC, while the Houston-Arizona game was on ESPN2. And then on the West Market, Houston and Arizona was on ABC, while Georgia yeah. Tech-South Florida was on the deuce. And you might say, well, why would why, that stupid? Why would you do that? What's the difference? Well, it's regional it's, coverage. Uh, it's regional coverage and ABC. There's still way more people that have ABC in their homes than they do ESPN two especially people that don't have cable just you know you could still get ABC without cable and there are still people that do that mm-hmm. so that that there, there's about a twenty to twenty five uh twenty to twenty five million homes difference at least uh between ABC and ESPN two so that is significant that's a possibility that they might do that with the UCF Memphis game pair it up with I believe what is it Texas Baylor. And then I think it's a Pac-12 game that I think are the three games are trying to figure out what ch- channel to put them yeah.
0: on. We'll keep an eye on that as it goes forward. Murph, what do you have coming up? Well, I'm
1: taking – I just sent in my answers for Jeremy Brenner's five questions or our, our, our roundtable article that we have hopefully coming up tomorrow or Thursday, I believe. Um, and then I And then I – uh, I'm gonna look back. I'm still gonna look back on the uh, the pit game uh, with just some observations. Not really about the pit game itself, but more about things I see from that game and how they sort of extrapolate extrapolate forward. Um, like Mackenzie Milton's play and some of the blocking things I saw, which were kind of interesting. Again, things that are not specific to that one game. That's way in the past by now. But um, sort of looking forward based of what was what I see. And then also, I did go out to UCF baseball on Sunday. Um, I'll say two Ooh, things hey. about that. I'll, say, I'll say two things about this. One, so UCF baseball kicked off its fall ball season on Sunday, and they played Seminole State, and they got down, I think, three nothing in the second or third inning. And someone tweeted at me that if they lose this game, they should fire Love Lady, which is <laughs> well, it's great. It's great. Wow. Um, but Ow. anyway, to, you know, to, fortunately for Love job status, they came back and won a glorified practice. Uh, that they, they quit in the eighth <laughs> inning, and they said, "Okay, we're done." We've, were, we, not,
0: we've we've learned enough. Thank you. <laughs> it, 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 took, it, it took three and a half
1: hours, so totally standard pace. Uh, there were nine errors, so perfect. Uh, but I will say, for free admission, even for a full, even for a glorified scrimmage, there were quite a few people there. Like there was, there was more people there for that scrimmage than there were for some Sunday baseball games during the season I'm I'm, I'm not kidding so that that was kind of entertaining it made it more fun to be there I'm gonna have even though we're like four days past it I'm gonna have a little write-up on that still because not really about the game but Anthony George came back Anthony George uh, played in all of one complete game last year he was hurt in second game of last season and uh, then was out for the rest of the year with a knee injury he came back and again it's practice but he homered in this in this practice. So it was good to see. We're talking him I, about there I, practice,
0: man. We
1: are talking about practice, and we're writing about practice. And uh, hey, whatever, it's sports.
0: <laughs> sports. We've got. Sports. Uh, we, we here's what I've got. I, I actually had a couple of interesting things uh, pop up this week. Um, first of all, I want to direct everyone's attention to um, Derek Warden's photo gallery this week. He got a new camera for the pit mm-hmm. game. His photos are just unreal this week. Some of the best they're, photos that I've ever seen. They're,
1: they're really making the rounds around Twitter too. I'm like loving I, it. Everywhere, man. everywhere I look, I see someone retweeting photos, but it's photos that Derek took.
0: Yeah, well, Otis Anderson did that. He had he actually yeah, picked up definitely. one of the photos and tweeted it out. Really good. I want to thank Otis for that, by the way. Um, so make sure if you haven't yet checked out Derek's photo gallery, it's amazing. He's going to have a new one coming up for the SMU game. Um, I did a little uh, research into Mackenzie Milton's season and extrapolated out some of his statistics and it turns out that even despite a lower completion percentage and a lower pass efficiency rating, he's on pace to break his own school records right now for passing yards and touchdowns as of right now if assuming UCF plays at least a 14-game season. So uh, I have that breakdown for you on BlackAndGoldBanner.com as well as how uh, UCF's uh, opponents stack up in team pass efficiency defense and passing yards allowed? Uh, so, who who are the tough teams coming up that you, that McKenzie's going to have to figure out? Uh, on top of that, we also have uh, hitting the field, which Jeremy has also put up there. We talked about the roundtable, uh, and we're keeping tra- and I'm keeping track of the rankings um, to see where UCF uh, is in relation to what they've done in past years, 2013 and last year. In particular, turns out that this was the week that they actually broke into the top twenty-five in um, uh, in uh, twenty seventeen. So, hey, thirteen spot head start, not too bad. So, be on the lookout for that. We'll also have our uh, live thread of the game against SMU coming up on Saturday, and plenty more as well. Luke Harris is going to have his preview. I mentioned the roundtable from Jeremy Brenner. Um, lots coming up here on uh, on com this week. So uh, make sure you follow us there. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret and Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And follow us individually. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric Lopez is at. Eric Lopez Elo. And Brian Murphy is at
1: an emergency room here soon if the Yankees don't close this game out. See what I said?
0: (laughs) I told you, Eric. I told you. But
1: if you really care to follow me on Twitter, it's at
0: at Spokes
1: underscore Murphy.
0: So, yeah. um, You're not the only one. I'll probably see you there if this keeps up. Um, And don't forget to follow everybody else on our list as well. um, And we'll have that list for you up as well. On uh, For our live thread, uh, Saturday, 7 p.m. kickoff. We start an hour before the game, getting you ready for UCF against SMU. Download this podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in if you don't already. Make sure you tell your friends. Leave us a rating. It really does help us in the ratings and helps other UCF fans find us as well uh, on those various podcast uh, platforms. So for Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you on our live game thread Saturday night for UCF and SMU. event. you back.